Next week, I will need the recording because we'll be traveling. Ah, okay. Okay, here we are, everybody. Welcome. On the way back here, Martin? Uh, on my way eventually back there. <laughs> Take a week. Okay, so this is, we are covering the issue of what we're calling Baruch Hashem Olam. And we started this last week. And uh, something that has interested Poskim and people who like uh, studying davening, that has, Baruch Hashem Olam has several interesting elements to it. <coughs> Halachically, it's interesting in terms of the halachic process. Historically, it's interesting for people who like looking at the differences between different communities and different minhagim. Right now, we're going to the earliest mention of this, which is Tosos discusses it at length in three places. We saw two of them uh, uh, last week. One is this Tosos that we're going to review right now briefly, and then the other Tosos on Davdalit is we're going to look at that again. Okay, this all starts because the Gemara now on mentions a Mishnah that appears later. Now the Mishnah says that Shema has two blessings, brachos beforehand at night and two brachos afterwards. And we call Birchos Kriyashma Shel Arvis is two before, two after. Tosas then jumps in and says that you should know that the entire system of Birchos Kriyashma isn't just about thinking about Ma'ariv, but you also have to keep the morning brachos of Shema in mind as well, because this adds up to seven brachos, three in the morning, four in the evening. And the reason this is important is because this fulfills an ideal that is mentioned in Tehillim. In Tehillim, Governor Malik writes in Kuf Yurtes, so chapter, Psalm 119 is famous for being the longest chapter of Tehillim by far. It has eight verses for each letter of the Aleph Bays. So the first eight verses start with the letter Aleph. The second eight verses start with the letter Bays. So it's often read in parts at a funeral, actually. You might have heard it there, where they say, where they say Tehillim using the letters of that Psalm 119 of the person's name, the, the nifter's name. So people are familiar with it uh, from that. If they, you know, otherwise don't say Tehillim. <clears throat> so over there, but what, besides for it being very long, it's also about David Amalek's love and devotion to Devar Hashem, to Hashem's laws. It's, it's, an, it's an ode to the Torah. And in this ode to the Torah, David Amalek says, Sheva Bayom Hilaltifa, Al Kecha. I think that's the conclusion of the Pazak. I praise you seven times a day. Now, Shema, in large part, even though it speaks about many things, is about devotion to learning and keeping the Torah. So seven times a day means is what he calls Birchos Kriya Shema. This then leads Tosos to ask, or not ask, to imply asking, what about the third bracha that we say after Shema, before Shemona Esrei starts? which is, he calls Yiru Eineinu. 
meaning this Gemara Yerushalmi that quotes the Pesach in Tehillim, does not <coughs> does not count Yiru Einenu. Dehi bracha, dehi bracha tiknu rabbanon. This bracha of Yiru Einenu, which you will find in the Siddur, in Mariv, right before the Chatzikadosh that precedes the Shemona Esrei, follows 18 Psukim that Tosas does not mention here for reasons we mentioned last week. Here, Tosas is not troubled by the Psukim, he's troubled by the Bracha. Right? That concluding Bracha, that's another Bracha after Shema, which would bring the number up to eight. So Tosa says that doesn't count as a bracha of Kriyashma. That is a bracha for extending the davening. It's meant to extend the davening. So you wait for people in Shul. Which the Gemara later, and I mentioned, so why do you have to institute a bracha for that? Instead, why don't you just say you should wait for people? <laughs> right? Don't there should be an in general, there should be a an a the rabbi should have said. It's also to leave people alone in shul. You know, something like that. No, we have to institute a whole new bracha. So hold on to that question for a moment. I don't want to address it right now. What's that, Ricky? So this bracha, the meaning behind this bracha, Tosus does not discuss entirely here. He will begin to discuss it, and this is where we left off, on Dalit Amad Beis. Is it Dalit Amad Beis? Or Gimel Amad Beis? What do you have here? Dalit Amad Beis. Where, Bob? Dalit. Dalit. Why don't I see it here? Oh, something's wrong with this Gemara. Pages are off. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's two Hayam and Bayes. That's right. Thank you. Dalit Amad Bayes. We're going to get to what Ricky asked, meaning that uh, Tosas offers different reasons as to why this bracha was instituted, which we will see in a moment. So let's just finish this piece of it. The, the Tosas here, Mivarei. First of all, he says, Shalahem. It's specifically in their shul, Shahayu Omdin Basada, that were out in the field, and they were at they were in danger from damagers. So therefore, there this was a concern. It wasn't just to leave someone in shul, but the idea, additional idea was that you leave him in shul, he's there, there are dangers at night. But in our shuls, <clears throat> there's no need to wait for your friends unless it's at night. So I brought up this up last week. We're talking about when it's at night. We're talking about Marev. So what is Tosas even adding by saying that? So I theorize that this is based on the first Tosas here on the page, where Tosas is saying that in their days, they didn't have in Marev at night. <laughs> they have in Marev while the sun was still out. Not that early, but <clears throat> it could be, have been an hour before sunset, and they were davening Mara. Now, and, and your theory, and your yeah. theory matches the footnote that they have 
in the uh, toast post that I have. Oh, good. Do they say who? Do they quote a like source? Um, Rome Sada. Oh, that's See, Baba Kama 60B with Rashi of Shofanar Tharachayim. Okay. Very good. Baruch Shekivanti. So that would explain that. Now, what's interesting, I'll just point out as an aside, is that nowadays the German communities that follow a lot of the sukkim that are being mentioned by Tosus say Baruch Hashem La'olam all the time, meaning they never, even when they dive in early, you know, they, they always say it. Okay, this brought me to, this brought us to a citation here. We mentioned the Gilion Nashas. The Gilion Nashas are the notes that Rabbi Kiva Eger wrote on his Gemara. And they appear in different places depending on your edition of the Gemara. Some old editions of the Gemara don't even have a Gilion Nashas. But most of the editions of the last hundred years do put it in. And the second note there, Rabbi Kiva Eger quotes Atosus on Davdalad Omid Beis. So that's where we were, and we're going to head over there now to take a look at what he says, Dalit Ramad Beis. So there, again, I'll quickly read through the parts that we did last time. Dama Rabbi Yochanan, Ezo ben Olam Haba. Rabbi Yochanan made a very grandiose statement. Who gets into the worlds to come? A person who connects his geula to tefillah at night, not just during the morning, but also at night. He says, Gal Yisrael. And then he davens he davens So the Gemara asked, "What about Hashkivenu?" So the Gemara's answer was, "Ah, Hashkivenu is an extension of Gal Yisrael," which itself is an unusual kind of thing to say because it's not. Meaning, it's a separate bracha, and it's not about the Gula and Mitzrayim either. It's about that we should go to sleep well, with our well rested, and have a clear mind, and you know. But Hashkivenu means going to sleep. But anyway, that's something we will say for another time. Right now, Tosus's problem with it is not Hashkivenu. He's saying, look, the Gemara said Hashkivenu is an extended Geula, meaning the idea of Hashem redeeming us, the theme is extended into Hashkivenu. But that's only Hashkivenu. How do you, what do you do with what we have? And how does he phrase it? He says, We say this bracha of Yireinenu and all of these psukim after Ashkivenu, Nira, it seems, that since it's the rabbis who institute it, it's also like Geula Arichta, which is like, my goodness, you could say anything and it'll just be more geula richta, you know, the extended. But the, this is the way those uh, answers the question that it's also an extension of Gal Yisrael. Now he explains why or how one could view it that way. The rabbis of whichever era instituted this. So that his friend, meaning the other guys in Shul, would also be davening. And would not leave Shul. Until everybody finished his davening. 
that's the first thing. So it's almost similar, but not quite similar. That's why Rabbi Kivager alluded to this. It says, the idea is that you all finish davening at the same time. And this will ensure that nobody leaves shul early. I will tell you what I think, how it's connected, is, is it that connects to the bracha of hashkivenu in a way. Not in the words, but in why it's being said. Hashkivenu is asking Hashem, please put me down, lay me down to sleep. So I can wake up also in peace. I can wake up in peace. So the idea is that you should have a safe, a good, safe night. The reason the rabbis instituted Yiru Einenu and the Baruch Hashem La'olam is because the nighttime is a dangerous time and you want people to have a good, safe night. So if you want them to have a good, safe night, it's not, an, it's not important only to daven for a good, safe night. You need to behave like it's a good, safe night as well. How do you behave to make it a good, safe night? Don't leave a guy alone in shul so he's stuck walking home in who knows what neighborhood or you know what dangers uh, lurk out in the street. So it's not the same wording, but it's the same concept. Night safety, we'll call it. Hashkivenu is a bracha tefila for night safety, and the reason the rabbis instituted this extra bracha is to ensure night safety uh, out of shul as well. Okay, so that's the first thing. This is similar to what Tosa said on the other page. Now he takes it an, another step here. Vegam, and also. In the verses, Tosas is now not talking about the bracha. He's talking about the psukim that are said before the 18 verses. Sorry, you can 18, I think, really. 19, which is fine with us. Psukim verses. Because I mentioned last week, I'll repeat again for clarity. On Daf Bays, the Tosas there didn't care about the Pesukim because his emphasis there was on how many brachos are there before and after Shema. The Mishnah says there are two brachos after because there should be seven brachos in total. So there on Daf Bays, Tosas is bothered. How can there be a third bracha or an eighth bracha? That's not right. Here on Daf Daladim and Bays, Tosas is not troubled by the number of the brachos. He's troubled by the interruption. So he wants to justify the interruption. So in order to justify the interruption, he has to explain not why there's another bracha, or not only why there's another bracha, but also why are we saying all of these psukim? So he's saying the structure of that, that passage is that it has 18 azkaros, means 18 mentions of Hashem's name, but he means Right, meaning you look the word Hashem and, and so on. Keneged Yud Ches Brachos, the Shmona Esrei. Okay. <clears throat> Let me add just for a moment because I think this is somewhat of a big deal, and I don't. He might address it later, but I'll just throw it in now. There's there's been some debate when Tosa says there are eighteen psukim. 
Because this is keneged. Keneged is a funny word in Hebrew. Opposite or um, not comparing, but complementary to. When we say, ah, Harold, when we say there are 18 psukim, keneged, the 18 brachos of Shemona Esrei. Some have theorized this means that this is a good hakdama, a good preliminary passage to Shemona Esrei, meaning, you will, it's getting us in the mood for Shemona Esrei. Or, as was mentioned here just a moment ago, the point is, it was for some perhaps, instead of Shmona Esrei. And you'd have to ask, why should something be instead of Shmona Esrei? Especially, we are saying it. We say the Shmona Esrei afterwards. It seems that back in the day, this is the way some ritosos, this was instead of Shmona Esrei, even though we nowadays don't do that. We say it. Right. So there, but it's both based on how you could read this little line in Tosos. <coughs> right. Okay, so that's very good. I like that. Ricky has an interesting take, which is that the 18 psukim here are there for the people who are davening longer, that they can actually say, Baruch Hashem Olam might have served as an abridged Shmona Esrei, so they could get out of show with everyone else. That's, that's a very interesting take. <coughs> You don't have every gum. Who? Yeah. Okay. I, I like that. That's a, that's a nice way of looking at it. Okay. So let's see here. Fine. And continuing. This is agav means we saw this word earlier. We were totally on that base. On the back of, meaning sort of like while you're saying the 18 psukim, all of these psukim. They instituted a concluding bracha of Yiru I always found that very funny because it's like, hey, while you're at it, just say, say a bracha. Why while you're at it should you say a bracha? It's a very funny way of putting it. Meaning it's almost like, hey, stay for coffee. Hey, and while you're having coffee, why don't you just... So, you know, not the bracha they make on a coffee, but <laughs> meaning, say some, you know, make some brachos here, you know, while you're at it. Why do you have to make a bracha? Why isn't it enough to say psukim? But tells so us what they, Yeah? What they, what they comment in here, you know, when they fill in the other words. <laughs> right. They, they wish to incorporate the verses in the context of a blessing, just as most verses mentioned in our prayers are incorporated into blessings. So wherever we have quotes from Sokim, they're yeah. already part of, like in Rekos Shema, for example. So I was, I was just going to, I wasn't going to say Shema, but I was going to give another example, which is Halal, that the, when the rabbis instituted Halal, they weren't content just to tell people, 
Listen, say these, was it? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Say these six chapters of Tehillim. Knock yourself out. No. They wanted to say, look, we are instituting this. Therefore, there's a bracha rishona. A bracha before you're doing a mitzvah. Likra zahalo. Likra zahalo. That's wonderful. But they weren't even content with that. They wanted a concluding bracha as well. So I think this is what Tosos is saying, is that there should be a a package, a formal, you know, beginning and ending. And this is something, there's a Gemara that references this with a lengthy story associated with it. I'll try to abridge it, which is that Jews like saying brachos. Not just that we like davening or we like saying psukim. We like brachos. Meaning when we say a bracha, we feel like we're doing something more real than when we don't say a bracha. This is a very true, This I'm not even saying a halakha here. I'm saying this is a reality of Yiddish human nature is to want to say brachos. I've seen many examples of this where this is a common feature of Jewish living. You tell a Jew to do something or you tell Jews to do something, some of them will do it, some of them won't. If you say, there's a bracha you say before you do it, many more Jews will get excited because you're saying a bracha before or after. They'll say, oh, this is real. They'll take it more seriously. <laughs> so the story that I heard was from a, uh, trying to remember the names involved. He's a rabbi, and he's the Rosh Hashiva of Lubavitch Hashiva in Florida. His name is Label Shapiro. Label Shapiro, when he was a young man, uh, this is going back to the either, I think, the early 70s, maybe late 60s, early 70s. He was, I think, he was a bachar at the time. He was present when someone, I believe it was the Lubavitch Rebbe's wife, the Rebbe was sitting shiva for her mother. Mother passed away in 71. Whatever it was, somebody passed away in the Lubavitch, you know, upper, I don't know who it was, but someone passed away. Someone was sitting Shiva. Rabbi Salavechik came to be Menachem Abba from, you know, from Wayu, from Boston, Wayu. Rabbi Salavechik comes to be Menachem Abba, and it was after Sukkot, so, which makes me realize it was not the Rebetzin. It was the Rebbe's brother-in-law was sitting Shiva for his mother. His mother passed away, Chomlite uh, Sukkot. He was sitting Shiva after Sukkot. Rabbi Salvechik is coming to pay a shiva call. And this label Shapiro, who was a bright uh, bachar at the time, is there at the shiva house as well. He sees Rabbi Salvechik and uh, takes the opportunity to start a conversation. And they talk and learning a little bit as Rabbi Salvechik is waiting to go inside or maybe after he left. And he asked him, remember, this was after Sukkot. He said, he asked Rabbi Salvechik, did you eat in the sukkah on Shmini Atzeres? That was the question. People who are familiar with the Frum community and life know that this is an issue of controversy in a number of circles. There are people who eat in the sukkah on Shmini Atzeres. There are some, especially in the Hasidic community, who do not eat in the sukkah on Shmini Atzeres. In general, people who are part of the non-Hasidic community, meaning what we call the Litvaks, um, do eat in the sukkah. And the reason is there's a Gemara. The Gemara says on Shmini Atzeres, you should eat in the Sukkah on Shmini Atzeres, but don't make a bracha. 
It's known that in much of the Hasidic community in Europe, they did not eat in the Sukkot. Back, one of the notable exceptions to this was Chabad. Lubavitch did eat, Lubavitch Hasidim do eat in the Sukkah, just the same like other Litvaks on Shmini Atzeris. But they know that they're the odd man out of the Hasidic world, meaning other Hasidim don't. So this was the opening to this late young Label Shapiro asking this question to Rabbi Soloveitchik. So Rabbi Soloveitchik says, he quoted another Gemara, the exact quote escapes me right now, Rabbi Soloveitchik said an answer to Label Shapiro's comment that many Jews do not eat in the Sukkah on Shmini Rabbi Soloveitchik said this was, of course, bound to happen because there's a Gemara that says if you don't make a bracha on something, then people are simply going to stop doing whatever practice that is if you do not associate a bracha with that action. Because if there's no bracha, then they won't take it as seriously. I'll give you another example. And this is an issue of some controversy in Israel to this day. Although every year I think the controversy subsides more and more. Because people simply don't get worked up about it anymore. Is that among the Zion, religious Zionist community, Dati Lumi, as they're called in Israel. It's known that uh, they will say Hallel on Yom HaAtzma'ut. Now, this practice began fairly early on in the, you know, after the state of Israel was founded, but many objected to it. But besides for the, or I'm leaving the objection to the side for now, there are a number of poskim, including Rabbi Vadi Yosef, who seemed to be comfortable with it being said, but was very, very clearly opposed to uh, the suggestion that one, that a bracha should be made. Says you want to say halal, meaning you want to say the verses of Tehillim, then that's one thing. But to actually say that is something that he said should not be said. And in fact, when Ravad Yosef he visited Israel and I'm sorry, visited the United States, I believe on two occasions. One of the occasions was in the early 70s, shortly after he was made chief rabbi, and then he came again in the early 80s after his tenure as chief rabbi had concluded. And he went to YU and he gave a shear on this topic. And he concluded in his shi'ur uh, not that one should not make a bracha. And apparently I'm told by someone who was present that he turned to Rabbi Soloveitchik and asked him if he says it with or without a bracha. And this struck a nerve because it was known to too many people unless they've studied the topic. Rabbi Salvechik did not say halal on Yom Hatzmut at all. He disapproved of the idea altogether, which people wouldn't have imagined otherwise because Rabbi Salvechik was the president of American Mizrahi and he was associated with the religious Zionist movement. But he still felt halakhically that it shouldn't be said at all. And in fact, when there were Talmidim who would ask him about it, this is just to show how the feelings were strong about this issue. And they would they they consulted with him and they, you know, and he would they would ask him, should we say halal? And he would be, no, you should not say halal on your husband. And they would basically say, We're gonna say it. <laughs> Tell us how to how it would best uh, 
work according to your opinion. So what does that mean? How it would best work? Meaning we're going to say it. So he basically said, look, if you're going to say it, then you should do it like this. Wait until Kaddish Tiskabel. Don't say it right after Shon So it's not officially part of the davening. Then skip those portions that we skip on Rosh Chodesh, you know, to make it less like halal even, you know, like by taking it like what we call half halal, chazi halal. Then, you know, that'll be okay. Otherwise, you're doing something wrong. Without a bracha, for sure without a bracha. Right. Wait till after Kaddish Tiskava. For sure, no bracha. And also, do a chazi halal. Take out those parts. And then you know, I'll allow it. Or then, now, when they would do it, there were times where he was in the minion and they would say it all. With the bracha, after <laughs> with the additional, you know, they just ignored him entirely. Because it was just emotionally too difficult. Whatever. He would just put his talus over his head and face the wall and just let them do, you know, and not not object. And that, and, uh, and that was it. So I allowed for this tangent just because I like I've, I've known these stories for years and I and these some of these stories are not known to the general public. Especially when label Shapiro is not known. The label the conclusion to all of this with label Shapiro, what Rabbi Salvation told him, so when you don't say a bracha, you're not going to take it as seriously. So as with halal, the reason just to wrap up the halal on Yom Hatzmut piece of this in Israel, there were many shuls of the just the general community, not the Haredi community, that would say Hallel, but the ones that didn't say a bracha, so the Sephardi shuls did not say a bracha because they've been following Rebbe Yosef as their man, you know, for 50 plus years. But the Ashkenazi shuls would not, those that did not say a bracha, when this person would not say a bracha, their Zionist, you know, bona fides were called into question. So he's like, okay, fine, you're saying halal, but you're not saying a bracha. Come on, what are you? Some sort of Nitorikartanik? You know, <laughs> like it got uh, it got tense, and there was there were tensions in in a number of schools in the grand in the great synagogue in Jerusalem. A few years ago, I, they they would say halal with a big chazan and everything. But the chief rabbi at the time, I don't know when this occurred, told them not to make a bracha, and it created, you know, quite a stir. So back to the sukkah story, which will then take us back to here, Rabbi Salvechik said, if you don't say a bracha, then people are not going to take the mitzvah that you're being told to do as seriously. So what he was commenting, he wasn't making a halachic point. It was more of a point of the anthropology of it, which is, that the practice of sitting or eating in the sukkah on Shmini Atzeres is going to suffer if there's no bracha. Because if you're telling someone, look, I have to eat even though I'm cold and have to wear a coat and, you know, all of that. And it's, it has the various discomforts associated with eating outside in September, late September or October. But I'm making a bracha. I don't want to lose the bracha. You know, like there's an excitement to it that makes it real. You're going to tell me, okay, it's 12 degrees outside, bundle up, put on your coat, your grandmother's miserable because she's right, you know, all of that, but no bracha? You know, so people, you know, 
people moved it, uh, their Suda inside, and it was taken less seriously as a result. Which now brings us um, coming all the way back to our Tosas over here. So Tosas saying they since they're saying the psukim, they say a bracha. So like Martin said in the, in the footnote there, <clears throat> or in the addition, but this is how I'm understanding it. You want people to stay behind a few minutes in shul and say all of these extra psukim. How are you going to convince them that they should stick around? You're just telling them to say psukim? It's not going to stick. You tell them there's a bracha chrona after those psukim, yiru then it's like, oh, I don't want to lose a bracha. Think about it. I want to say 100 brachos a day. This is one more. I want to, you know, and they get, it, it creates an excitement around it and it creates a commitment because once there's a bracha involved, then the bracha makes it real and solidifies the obligation to do it because the rabbis are not going to institute a bracha in shul just because. It shows that they're taking this takana of saying these psukim seriously. Okay? So now, so now, as we know, we're going to see more, but you see it. The, the minhag among Ashken, Nusach Ashkenaz, since these days here, it predates Sosa. Sosa's not making something up now. He's talking about something that already existed, right? He's defending the existing practice of making this bracha. Ashkenazim say The Rambam even has many Sfardim say But let's go on. As we know, we said here, you know, it said here in Shul. Um, let's see here. The halacha kerbiochanon, the b'raisa, misayele, v'chein posak, halachos gedolos. So Tosis quotes the early psuk, uh, poskim, sorry, of Ashkenaz. There was a sefer called the halachos gedolos. That's that hey gimel there on the page. He's known in yeshiva, interestingly, because his name was forgotten. I mean, his name is known to scholars. I just don't know his name. But the sefer was he, called the halachos gedolos. It's not literally the big halachos, but meaning the big compendium of halachos. And in yeshivas, they call him the behag. They throw in the bays for baal halachos gedolos, meaning the author of the work called halachos gedolos, which was an early Ashkenazi rishon. Okay? V'im kein, now Tosus brings up a separate issue, which we're not going to get into at length today, but uh, I'll just mention, we'll, we'll start it at least, because now this is a separate question, which is, meaning this would mean that you shouldn't be talking between this Geula of Mariv and Shmona Esrei. Umihu, however, the Seder of Amram, in the Seder, think of the word Seder the way we use the word Sidur. Meaning, Rav Amram was a Ga'on. Now, not a Ga'on in the way that we use the term nowadays, which just means a great rabbi who knows everything, like Rav Khan Kanyevsky. Or, that's how we use the term Ga'on now. The term Ga'on in Babylonia, in the early Middle Ages, was an official title that was given to the head of the yeshiva in Babel, in Babel. Now in this yeshiva in Babel, the head of the yeshiva is called the Ga'on, 
But it's not like he was just the rabbi who was sitting in his office poskening. He had a whole he had a whole yeshiva. And he was consulting. The yeshiva was a place where he and together with the, the rabbis who were in the space madrash were learning the halachos. So there were communities in the Middle East in the 700s, the 800s, and they didn't have sidurim then. So they asked Rav Amram, can you tell us how we're supposed to daven? I mean, you have sometimes you have rabbis here and they might know a little this, a little that, but we're rather confused on how to daven. The, what the wording should be, what the order should be. After all, as we've seen just from this Gemara, there's so many different opinions. Tell us what to do. So Amram and his base medrash wrote, and this is to this day, you should know, this is what for the Jewish people is the earliest Siddur. And it's rather thin. <laughs> I have a copy. I got it a few months ago, finally. The Seder of Amram Gon is the earliest Siddur where Rav Amram Gon lists and the wording, because the Gemara mentions things, for example, the Gemara says, Yishtabach. Okay, how does it go? <laughs> what is this bracha called Yishtabach? What are the words? He says it. You know, there's another Gemara that mentions Barsha Omar. How does it go? What are the wording? We saw there are little words here and there. The Gemara doesn't tell us what the full wording of it. So where, is, where does the Siddur come from? So Rav Amram Gon was the first Siddur that we have written down that Klal Yisrael had. So he writes, Masha Anu Omrim Kaddish Ben Geula Arvis. If you've noticed, there's a huge difference between the morning Birchus Kreshma leading up to Shmon Esrei and the evening Birchus Kreshma leading to Shmon Esrei. Forget about this Gula Richta business, which we've been talking about. Why is there a Chatsi Kaddish? In the morning, there's no Chatsi Kaddish. We say go al Yisrael, and zoop, we go right into Shmonesrei. At night, there's go al Yisrael, then there's Hashkivenu, which the Gemara says, that's just an extended go al Yisrael. Fine. Then there's Barajam al-Olam, Okay, that's just more of an extended. Fine, but what should be happening after that, Moses is asking, is we should be going right into Shmonesrei without anything else. But Rav Abram says, there's a Kaddish. Which, as we all know, there's that, that Kaddish before we, right, we, we say our Shmona Esra. This Seder of Amram Gon is approximately the year 800. Okay? I don't know the, you know, 783, uh, 827, you know, but, I mean, we're talking the uh, 800. Or, probably, you know, around there. So, and this is this is the Seder of Amram Gon. And he is the one, like he wrote there, he's saying, when you're davening Marif, this is the structure of Marif, and you should say this Chatzikadosh beforehand. Before Shmonesre. Meaning at Marif, you say your Gal Yisrael, your Hashkibenu, your the third bracha that we just spoke about, and then you have a Chatzikadosh. So what's going on? Why is there this Chatzikadosh? So let's just touch on the beginning reason here. The um, love ah, he says that which we add a kaddish between the geula, meaning Gal Yisrael, and the nighttime Shmon Esrei, the Tfilas Arvis. He says Lashmeinan de Lobeinan Mismach Geula the Arvis Latfila. Is there to tell us you don't really have to 
connect Geula to Tefillah at night. It's like, hello, you've just spent, Tosas has just given us this whole shear, telling us that we have to. He says, but guess what? Rabbi Amram Gon said, you don't really have to. So what do you want for my life? But he says, why? Mishum de Tfilas Arbis Rashus. Because the obligation to Davin Amar Shmona Esrei is elective. Now, in what way is it elective? You don't see anyone saying, oh, Amar Shmona tonight? Nah, it's Rashus. So this is the third Tosos that we're going to see later on Chavzayim. We're not going to do it now. Is that the Marav Shmona Esrei, not all of Marav, because Birchos Kriya Shema you have to say. There's no way out of that. The Marav Shmona Esrei is, according to one view in the Gemara, optional. How optional is it? Not very optional, because we'll see there's another Gemara that says that if a person misses Marav, then he has to daven Shachris twice. If it was really optional, then there would be not, why would you say all these extra brachos that you didn't have to? So according to some, the optionality, that's a word, of the Marev Shmona Esrei only extends to people who, let's say, would not be able to daven, say they don't know the words. The way that you see this halach expressed even today, even though anyone who's a good observant Jew is davening Marev, Shmonesre is in the fact that there's no repetition of the Marav Shmona Esre. Right? We all know there's no Chazar Shashats at Marav. There's Chazar Shashats at Shachris, at Mincha, but not Marav. Why not? Because Marav is Rishus. That's how it's expressed. Meaning, if you had someone who simply didn't know the words and couldn't pull it off, then that would be okay. Not okay, okay. But the point is, it would be understandable that if he can't do it, then we don't insist that the whole community has to hear a repetition just to make those people happy because it's a rishos. That's how many poskim understand that piece. In any case, Tosos doesn't like it. We're going to, and he says, Velonihira, this does not seem right. Because Rabbi Yochanan, who's the very rabbi who we're discussing right now, says that Mariv is an obligation, meaning the Mariv Shemonesri is an obligation. The Pluktahi, the Rav Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan. Because there's a principle that in, in among the poskim, it's a Gemara, but, but that say that when Rav argues with this Talmud Rabbi Yochanan, we poskin like Rabbi Yochanan. Now, this is interesting because nobody suggests otherwise nowadays. Tosas is saying it's proper not to schmooze between the end of Birchos Kriyashma and Shrona Esrei. Nobody talks. I mean, you know, whatever. You have people talking shul. But the point is, it's not, the halacha is clear that there should be no schmoozing. Lesaper means to talk like schmoozing. Not answer Amen Yehesh Rava or whatever. It means uh, 
conversation. I have conversations with Saper. So he says, the person shouldn't do that. And if you're going to ask about this contradiction, meaning we, he tells us saying, I just put up a, a big contradiction over here. This is very complicated to understand. On the one hand, you want to, you want to believe Rabbi Yochanan, or you want to behave like Rabbi Yochanan, who says that Gaul Yisrael should go straight into Shmon but you have all these interruptions in between, that's okay. They're not an interruption. But on the other hand, you're saying the Chatzikadosh, how are you saying the Chatzikadosh? So he says, the Kaimelon Tfilas Arvitz Rishos, the Hacha Paskinen Kir B'yohanon, Tzorach Lomer Da Filu Is Sover B'yohanon Kirav, the Omer Rishos, he, Mikomakon Mechayv Lismo, the Imkain, Gamlanu Yesh Lismo. Which translated, it's not a smooth read. So I'll give you all a warning ahead of time. What he's saying is that even if Rabbi Yochanan holds like, would hold like Rav, that it's a Rishus. There's still a mitzvah to do it, meaning it's still the right thing to go one right into the other. So we should do so as well. So what Tosos is saying is, and it's funny because we are all so used to this. This is literally every single Ma'arim of the year. Forget about Baruch Hashem La'olam. Even if you don't say Baruch Hashem La'olam, like the, in, in Israel they don't, right? The Vilna Gon didn't say it. And this is something we'll cover next class. The Baal Tanya said you shouldn't say it, so Lubavitchers don't say it. But the thing is, you're still saying the Chatzikadosh. Even the Vilna Gon had that Chatzikadosh after Hashkivenu. And the Sahari does too. So Tosis is asking, what is this Chatzikad is doing there. Nothing says interruption more than Chatzikad. Right? Chatzikad is the definition. It is the halachic prayer definition of, okay, we're stopping what we were doing before starting a new thing. That is what Chatzikad is. Chatzikad is a bridge. When we don't say a Chatzikad in the morning and we go straight from Gali Stroll, right into Shemona Esrei, we're saying we don't even want a bridge. We just want to go slide right in with zero interruption. So Tosus is seems to be concluding over here that the point is that if we were fully consistent that Mariv is the same as Shachris, meaning Geula straight into Shemona Esrei, then their Chati Kaddish would be inappropriate. It would not be said at night. It's only said at night because this is the way to express the idea that Mariv is a Rishus, which means that the nighttime Shmona Esrei is not on the same level of obligation as Shachris and Mincha Shmona Esrei. So when did Marv become more organized? So I believe it's based on the Gemara because the Gemara, the, the Gemara has this, it's the Brisa. The Gemara says this phrase, if you forget Ishmon Esrei or if you something happened and you missed a davening, you can say the next Shmon Esrei twice. One 
for whatever time it is, and the second one as your makeup. Once that brisa or that gemara said that Marv is part of that loop, then this was understood that Marv is just as much of an obligation as Shachris and Mincha. Because if it wasn't, not that you wouldn't have to repeat if you forgot Marv, because you can say, look, I wanted to say Marv. But something happened, and I, I fell asleep, and I missed it. I feel terrible. Then the rabbis will let you say a second chakras. However, the problem is like this. What if I miss, what if a person missed mincha? If a person missed mincha, and then let's say he missed marav as well. Can he say chakras twice? Three times? What if he would say, ah, but I didn't want to say marav anyway. I was, you know, I'm part of the optional school. I want to say my mincha. I want to say, I want one chakras to be for chakras and the other one to be for mincha. They would say, no, you can't do that. So this is already based on the Gemara. When did it become clear? In the times of the Rishonim, meaning the Rishonim, all and, and this Rabbi Amram Gon, and later Rishonim, and that's when the Sidurim started to be published, made it clear that Mariv is meaning no Jew who wants to do the right thing should think that he has an option of skipping the Marv Shemona Esrei. Right? And by the way, it's only Marv Shemona Esrei, which sometimes is problematic for people to understand because when I, we said this with the first Tosos, I tell anyone in the room or watching, what does it mean? Davin Marv, define that phrase. Everyone would say, well, it starts on page 256. And it ends on page 282, right? Or like, that's what we think. The Baruch Hu, Birchus When the Gemara says Dav and Mariv, Mariv is Roshus, they don't mean Mariv. They just mean the Mariv Shemona Esrei, is, is uh, what they mean. All right, we're going to stop there. And I'd like at the next class to go into the, how it is that 